0: You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported.
1: Community Radio for South Central Indiana.
2: Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones.
3: And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB local news for Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. Just a look at
4: all of the different sides of um, life in the times of early music.
3: Later
2: in the program, WFHB correspondent Cindy Boley speaks with two organizers about the Bloomington Early Music Festival. More in today's feature
3: report. Also coming up in the next half hour, flipping outrageous on Better Beware, our weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature report, but first, your local headlines.
2: At the Bloomington City Council meeting on May 10th, Development Services Manager Jackie Scanlon gave an update on accessory dwelling units and plexes.
5: Uh, We reported in February of 22, September of 22, and since September of 22, uh, the department has had 11 additional inquiries about possible duplex uses in the R1 through the R3. Uh, As last time, these inquiries range from basic questions about whether or not one is allowed to process questions to proceeding with filing. A dwelling duplex use was approved via the conditional use process by the Board of Zoning Appeals in October of 22, and a dwelling duplex use was approved via the conditional use process by the Board of Zoning Appeals in February of 23. So that is a total of three since the regulation was passed. Um, We have also received uh, one ADU permit filing since September of 22, which uh, leaves our number hovering around 30 for those uh, since that regulation was changed, and we wanted to let you know um, that we have put together an accessory dwelling unit website, and that went live on April 11th. Uh, so that can be accessed through the Planning and Transportation Department website. Um, it has a number of model ADUs done by uh, local and regional architects uh, and explains the process for uh, both attached and detached ADUs. And I can answer any questions.
2: Council Member Steve Volan asked if the regulations are too restrictive and if that is why they have not had a lot of requests. Scanlon responded.
6: Is it the opinion of the department that... Uh, the rules may be too restrictive, that they're discouraged? Is there a reason why people aren't even building 15 a year?
5: Um, I'm not sure. I think we were comfortable, I mean, we were definitely comfortable with the cap. We said publicly, we're not going to get 15 a year. That's Feel free to put a cap on. It's not something we would um, argue against. Uh, As was The case when ADUs were um, submitted, I think it's just a slow roll start. I think having it be a conditional use probably does slow that option. Uh, We had a fourth, um, uh, we discussed this at the last report, but one of, we had an ADU, a serious ADU interest within a 150 foot buffer of one of the other ADUs. Um, I'm sorry, a plex interest within the buffer of one of the other duplexes. Um, So, you know, that has, materially stopped one additional duplex in town, the buffer. Um, I think the regulations could be, I think the department would say the regulations could be lessened. Uh, we definitely didn't get the Plex wave that, um, we heard about from the public and, um, uh, members of the bodies who, uh, saw the, the, um, request, but, um, yeah, it's still kind of early. Um, I think we are We said this at the last report, but we did not see construction slow down uh, for single-family homes during COVID. Uh, Different kinds of construction happened because people were staying home. Um, But I do think that this particular use is probably being hampered by uh, the regulations surrounding it.
2: Councilmember Jim Sims asked Scanlon if having the approval process be a by-right permitted use instead of a conditional use permit would encourage more residents to consider ADUs and plexes. Scanlon agreed that they would probably see more requests if the ordinance was instead a by right permitted use.
5: Sure. Yes. Thank so you. I would say yes. I do think that that I do think it's a barrier. I think by right we would see more interest. I mean, it's a large and it's a large financial investment as you've said, you know. I mean, single family houses, the house a block away from where I live, within walking distance of this building, went for up for sale last week and got a uh, over asking cash offer the next day for more than half a million dollars. I mean, like people are, it's crazy right now. So yeah, you would you would have to really be invested in wanting to have a duplex. I mean, it is a different type of living style than some people are used to, um, and so I think there's that getting used to uh, that difference. But I do think that uh, making it by right. Uh, could help stimulate um, having more uh, real viable interests.
2: Flaherty said that he is interested in changing the regulations after seeing that the concerns city residents had did not come to fruition and asked Scanlon if she thinks that it would be reasonable to loosen the regulations to enable the building of more accessory dwelling units
3: and plexes. I think like these are sort of like guardrails that were put in place, like extra precautions as sort of how they were framed, uh, similar to how EDUs were rolled out in 2017. Um, Because some folks in the community certainly were very afraid that New York hedge funds would buy hundreds of properties and tear them all down and and this sort of narrative. Um, Do you feel like the evidence we have after several years demonstrates clearly that that, those fears were unfounded and we can proceed to um, uh, not sort of hinder the process of of developing missing middle housing in Bloomington?
5: Sure, I think uh, the tracking that we've done of the interest that we've received thus far from Plexus is primarily from local people. So some local realtors or local developers, local architects, local residents. Um, That is what we've seen thus far. Uh, I do think, again, that allowing the use by right um with as many restrictions as we felt were appropriate you know just because something's by right doesn't mean that the other restrictions the use specific standards would go away um could uh help us with our uh challenge of uh of lacking missing middle yes
2: then council member dave Rallo reintroduced an ordinance to amend the traffic calming and greenways program
6: what this entails is as I said, to, to reestablish council participation at the conclusion of the process. But it would behoove us to be involved throughout the process, obviously, uh, at the beginning and, and, uh, and at the end, um, and throughout the process. So I see it as a, a check and balance. Um, we, uh, prior to 2019, it, it was a given that the council, was involved in any permanent alterations of roadways uh recall currently we we still are to so to in some extent we just approved a series of stop signs for instance that in some ways has i think much less significant uh, than than some of the proposed uh greenway programs so um these uh projects can be uh, well, let me establish why I think council should be involved. Um, These greenway projects can be uh, very expensive. Um, The proposal for the Hawthorne Weatherstone Greenway, for instance, is probably in the neighborhood of about $400,000. But Staff would know better at this point. Um, And so it is uh, in part a... Uh, responsibility, I think of the councils, I said, in terms of its budgetary, uh, fiduciary responsibility over some. The expenditures that are at, that la- at large, um, it allows us to evaluate priorities along the way too. um, we have, uh, for instance, many different possibilities for green waste. For instance, uh, we have. Areas of the city that are very safe to walk and bike. We have other areas that are, that are not so. And so it allows us to evaluate those and particular projects with respect to priorities.
2: Assistant Director of Planning and Transportation, Beth Rosenbarger, offered some clarification on the traffic calming and greenways process.
7: I want to reiterate that the traffic calming and greenways program does not identify what is or is not a neighborhood greenway in our community. What will be built out as neighborhood greenways was identified through the transportation planning process and adopted via this body into the transportation plan. So when we talk about uh, if something is or is not, that we refer to the transportation plan. And if members of the community or uh, council members representing those members wanted something to not be a neighborhood greenway, the best path to doing that is to amend the transportation plan, which is a document that can be amended. And we're even working on staff amendments to hopefully be bringing um, at the end of this year or next year. So the traffic calming and greenways program is a process. It has the two processes, the staff-led, which can be staff-led traffic calming or the staff-led neighborhood greenways process and the resident-led traffic calming process.
2: The council voted four to five in opposition to the ordinance. The next Bloomington City Council meeting will take place on May 17th. Today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Cindy Boley speaks with two organizers about the Bloomington Early Music Festival. This interview originally aired as part of Tuesday's afternoon music mix on WFHB. We turn to Cindy Boley for more.
0: happy to welcome into the studio Suzanne and Meg. We'll be talking about the Bloomington Early Music
1: Festival coming up this Sunday. We'll start off with Suzanne. Hi, my name is Suzanne. I'm a president and a CEO of Bloomington Early Music. Um, we have been running um, a festival for 30 years now in Bloomington, um, and uh, we are thrilled to be presenting this uh, coming week from the 21st, Sunday evening the 21st, through the afternoon of Sunday the 28th, um, we have um, um, a mixture. We have uh, 12 concerts, uh, performances, six of which are um, uh, virtual, so they're available online up until June 4th. Got a lot of extra time there. And then um, the remainder are in person, um, primarily at FAR Center. Uh, for Contemporary Arts, and then the last two evenings are at Trinity Episcopal Church on Kirkwood. Um, we have also um, uh, seven workshops for children and and adults, um, and they're geared towards children predominantly, but they are absolutely accessible and fun for the young at heart. These are in the afternoons, Monday uh, through Friday, and then Saturday morning. Um, at Morgan Stern's Books, and uh, and then Sunday afternoon. This one's more adult. It's focused on caffeine, um, so uh, we really, really hope to see people there. Everything is free. I should emphasize all the events are free, and um, and it's all open to the entire community. And our aim is to get people in who've never come to things like this before.
0: There's also pre-concert discussions starting this Sunday. Is that right?
1: Yes. Yes. Every concert has a pre-concert discussion. These are um, not formal talks and not formal interviews. They're more free, f- you know, free-form uh, conversations between a member of the ensemble, usually the director of the ensemble, and an, and a scholar um, who is a specialist in the area. And the goal with these, they're about 20, 20 minutes long each. They precede each of the concerts. Um, the virtual ones are, again, those are available online. Um, and it's, it's really to show uh, people how... Frankly, how much fun this stuff is, um, and and how engaged people are in 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 what they're talking about, and it will relate it back to the theme, uh, to our theme this year.
0: Megan, uh, Meg, I would like to welcome you as well. Uh, what, are, what is your role in the festival?
4: Yeah, hi. So my name's Meg Cooper, and I am the manager of marketing, publicity, and development for Bloomington Early Music. And something that I'm most looking forward to within the festival um, is actually our workshop series. So those are typically at 2 p.m. all of the weekdays and then 10 a.m. on Saturday, uh, the 27th. And what I'm excited about those four is that they're a look inside life in the early music period. Um, and so there's a sword fighting workshop. There's a early print technologies that we're partnering with Lily Library on that has marbling um, involved. Ooh. And we have a... a sound workshop as well, just a look at all of the
0: different sides of um, life in the times of early music. I also see there's a tavern hopping through time. That's not for a, for children, correct?
4: It is not. <laughs> However, it will be at hopscotch and it will largely emphasize coffee um, and talking
0: about uh, historical historical drinks. It sounds like really a a massive endeavor to get going how how long has it been since you started planning this <laughs>
1: uh, we we actually start more than a year in advance um, we're right now working on the uh, theme for 2024's festival and we have our uh, call for concert proposals ready to go we announced the theme on closing night of this year's festival so and it's a big it's a big top secret until then, but we're extremely excited about it, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a large effort. This is this is a large it's a large festival, and it's it's actually we've we've uh, doubled or, or more the amount of events and activities in the last couple of years, pandemic notwithstanding. Obviously, that right. was a a fabulous effort of online only concerts. Um, but but uh, we've we've really worked hard to bring it um, bring it to to the current level. Um, we have uh, many international ensembles involved. We are bringing one ensemble in from um, from Mexico City, Tembembe Ensemble Continuo. They're extremely well known, um, very popular throughout Latin America and in the U.S. Um, they've played at the Kennedy Center. They've played at uh, Los Angeles Philharmonic, um, and they're coming here to Bloomington. Um, so, we're, so we're absolutely thrilled about about the support we've gotten from the community and from various foundations, et cetera, to, to make that this happen. That
0: is great. Thanks. I'm glad you mentioned uh, online because uh, the previous festivals were online, but this one is as well. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So not only do we have a series of
4: virtual concerts, we also will be capturing and streaming live all of our live concerts. So even if you're not able to be here in Bloomington, you can still catch all of those live concerts. They will be recorded. And um, for our virtual concerts, it gives us an opportunity to bring groups in from all over the world. So we have groups from Australia, from Canada, from France, from the U.K., um, and, you know, we have groups from all over the world that are going to be able to be listened to in that
0: format. That is great. Now this year's festival is focusing on Arabia, Iberia, and Latin America. Um, I'm not
1: really familiar with Iberia. Is that Spain? Iberia is, uh, the peninsula. Um, it's, it's modern Portugal and Spain. Yes. Um, and, and this, this is the second of our thematic, um, uh, festivals last year was celebrating women in early music. And we looked at women from a variety of roles throughout the medieval, um, medieval period through the early classical period. Um, this, this year, it's what we're calling, um, early music crossroads. Um, and, uh, and this is really to demonstrate the connection across these three three areas the the um the history and the politics and the invasions and colonializations and conquests have really shaped these cultures and and there's a through line uh, across them that's geographical and across time. and And it's not it's not without its its issues, right? We're talking about colonialism. This was not a, a a happy time necessarily. Um, so, so one of the things we are facing here is how do we celebrate and explore in a positive way beautiful music, exquisite music um, that that uh, was from this was from this uh, circumstance. Um, the influences weren't necessarily voluntary. So, so we do address that, um, and and we can we can really celebrate uh, this this uh, tradition, this 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 uh, group of traditions that have developed over a near millennium.
0: So Meg, the festival starts on this Sunday, goes till the 28th of this month. Is that right, for a whole week? It does. It's a whole week of activities. We have our opening
4: concert on Sunday, May 21st, Right at 8 p.m., you can join us at 7.15 for that pre-concert talk. And then throughout the week, we will have concerts almost every night, except on Tuesday, we have a movie marathon at the FAR Center, which means you can come and see all six of our virtual concerts in one setting. And we are fortunate enough to have some goodies provided for free
0: um, for so- from SOMA. We did have somebody cancel uh, because of uh, travel issues. Yeah, absolutely. So but we can see all of the events online mm-hmm. at blemf o r g. Who put that together? <laughs> oh, Sam Motter is our social media
4: manager. Sam and his spouse are expecting their first baby this week, so we are wishing him well there, but he'll be delighted to know that you you like our website. <laughs>
0: it's, it's really, really easy. Um, anything else you want to add? We, we've got a little bit more time.
1: One thing that I want to add about the cancellation is that this is now our headlining ensemble for next year. Um, we, we were really thrilled. Cantoria um, is from uh, Barcelona, Spain, and they are a, a stellar uh, vocal quartet of um, young, uh, slick, beautiful musicians who do very interesting um, uh, performances. They have gorgeous video uh, recordings online. We sent some of those around in our newsletter for people who are signed up for that. And we had a conversation, we, you know, visa issues, et cetera, And um, we're we're thrilled that they that they uh, are are going to be coming next year. So we're we're one step ahead for next year.
0: That's a little hint about next year's things. right. <laughs> I
1: don't know. Um, so just uh, FYI, we've got some uh, all
0: in person concert venues are handicap accessible and pre concert discussions at the same venue. And it's, uh, it looks like to be a wonderful festival coming up. Um, Meg, anything else for you? Yeah, I'll just add that we will also
4: have um, program notes for every, for every concert that we do have with
0: um, Spanish translations available. Very cool. Because a lot of things are going to be in Spanish. And uh, other languages, I imagine, that nobody knows anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming. Um, You can watch online. You can go to the festival. And it starts this Sunday. It goes for an entire week throughout the week. Uh, And you can get it all on B-L-E-M-F dot O-R-G, BLEMF, which stands for the Bloomington Early Music Festival.
3: up next flipping outrageous on better beware your weekly consumer watchdog segment on wfhb we turn to host and producer richard fish for more
8: in case you haven't noticed, the price of houses has been going up and up and up lately. That's good news for you if you own a house, aside from the fact that your property taxes are going up too, that is. But it's also brought some very shady characters into the real estate market. ProPublica, an independent news organization, recently released a most unsettling report about a company called Homevestors, which claims to be the largest home Home buyer in the United States and whose slogan is we buy ugly houses that's true enough but some of the deals are even uglier Homevestors is all about house flipping. Buy a property and turn around and sell it at a profit. The company offers franchises, and there are over 1,400 people around the country who operate one. They are trained to look for houses in bad repair, and homeowners who are in financial trouble. Then they move in and use high-pressure tactics to get a homeowner to sell at a low price. Now, let's be clear what homevesters trains their franchisees to do is not actually illegal and there's nothing wrong with making money in real estate buy low sell high is a standard business technique but one lady who just asked them for an estimate got a ten-page offer to purchase She was in her eighties and suffering from dementia, but the agent pushed hard to get her to sign immediately. When the lady's son found out and tried to cancel the sale, the agent filed papers that clouded the title and made it impossible to sell the property to anyone else, and the court battle dragged on for years. The real value of the property was over $160,000 more than the home vester's agent had offered. The company trains its people to look for houses with water shut-off notices, police tape, boarded-up windows. They talk to nursing home administrators, divorce lawyers, and probate officers. A company directive says, quote, "...quickly pursue the property where the trash pile indicates eviction." End quote franchisees are told to make it clear that they are a discount buyer and can't pay a full price and told never to lie to people but some of their agents don't follow those rules according to ProPublica when homeowners get in trouble financial legal medical or simply old age a discount buyer can work fast but I own a house, and in the past couple of years I've been approached over and over again by people asking if I want to sell. Be suspicious of anyone who wants to buy your house when you're not trying to sell it. Tell your friends and relatives there are plenty of honest local realtors who can help and advise. An offer from a discount buyer may sound too good to be true.
2: You've been listening to the WFHB local news. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cindy Boley.
3: Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer. And I'm Benedict Cade Young. Jones.
2: Climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB.
3: You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio.